This episode of Talk Central is brought to you by Pinnacle, Africa's top ICT distribution business, delivering the exceptional every time. I'm Richard van der Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 235 for the week starting 23 September 2018. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central. You can WhatsApp the show 71 On Talk Central this week, could Telcom and MTN merge? Also this week, President Ramaphosa cracks the whip on Spectrum, Nasbash to offload multi-choice to shareholders, iPhone pricing in South Africa, it's not a pretty picture, and mm. the Japanese just landed two robots on an asteroid. Interesting stuff. It's Sunday, it's 1pm and it's time to talk everything tech. Welcome to the podcast. How's it, Rahat? How's it, Duncan? Good, thanks. We are unfortunately not live streaming again today. We are having some serious challenges with uh, Spreaker, which is the uh, um, streaming live streaming software you use. But we are going to contact their technical support during the course of this week, weekend or this coming week and get that sorted out. So I fully expect we will be back live again from next Sunday. Apologies about that. But uh, lots to talk about this week in the podcast, um, especially around Spectrum and around multi-choice. Lots of interesting stuff happening. But before we get into all of that, shall we do our quiz, Rahat? Certainly. Let's hit the first question. Shareholders in multi-choice's Black Economic Empowerment Scheme are set to score extra shares as part of Nasparis' unbundling of the pay TV operator. What is the name of the BEE scheme? And how will the top end iPhone X, 10S, or we say XS, <laughs> how much will the top end iPhone 10S with 512 gigabytes of storage cost in South Africa, according to the iStore? And the third question, Nashpress's Oil X this week said it was paying 1.4 billion rand for which South African e-commerce company? And that's a pretty interesting one, that. Yes. And uh, MTN this week will, uh, this coming week will pull the plug on its zero-rated free Twitter offering. In which mm. year did it introduce this? And the final question: Which U.S. company has outbid Rupert Murdoch's Fox to buy Sky in a thirty billion pound deal? Yeah, it's a little bit more than an iPhone XS. <laughs> <laughs> Similar digits, but not the same thing. <laughs> As always, we'll get to the answers at the end of the show. But let's dive into this week's news. And, Rechard, interesting story that was in the Sunday Times Business Times today, written by Nick Headley, uh, quoting uh, unnamed sources in Telcom, saying that the two companies, or Telcom and MTN rather, have um, reignited discussions about a possible merger. Um, of their mobile assets, it would appear. But um, interesting speculation that you'll recall maybe 10 years ago now, possibly even more, mm, there mm. were strong rumors that uh, MTN and Telcom were in talks to, to, to do a merger, to conduct a merger. And uh, that didn't seem to uh, – well, that didn't happen. It didn't transpire. Um, but uh, talk, talks renewed again now. now this is interesting um, speculation um, because mm. you know, there's been talk over a long time that perhaps the market isn't – sufficiently large to sustain four infrastructure competitors in the mobile industry in South Africa. Um, will it happen? I don't know. Um, we know that uh, Telcom put in a, uh, I think I called it a cheeky bid at the time. Um, rumor is that it was a one rand bid to buy sell C uh, and to take on, of course, its mountain of debt that it had at the time. It still has a mountain of debt, but it's not really oh, yeah. as bad as it used to be. Um, but that, that deal didn't come through. And, of course, we know that Blue Label Telecoms acquired a 45% stake 
in uh, South Sea and that that business has now been recapitalized. Um, we also know that Blue Label share prices come off very significantly over the last few months following the conclusion of that deal, I think in part as a result of concerns about how much investment Celsius is going to require to be able to compete effectively against the big guys in the industry, uh, specifically Vodacom and MTN. So it's, it's interesting to see this, um, these rumors of a possible merger resurfacing. Um, it might make sense for them to do it. I mean, tel- mm, mm. Telcom, despite the fact that... Uh, of its heritage as as a monopoly provider in South Africa is still relatively subscale in in the mobile space. Um, I think they're sitting on five or six million customers relative to tens of millions for MTN and Vodacom. Uh, but will, the question is, would this be allowed or entertained by the competition authorities? And certainly, based on previous evidence, I would suggest it probably wouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, uh, but it makes a lot of sense for a company like Telcom. Uh, to do this, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be in their interest. Yeah. Um, so it could it could bode well for the business side of things, but like you said, the competition commission, you know, there's other <laughs> there's other um, factors at play. Yeah. Um, but it's how, not as simple as just merging. Yeah. The question is, how would it be done? I mean, would it be a case of MTN buying Telcom? Um, you know, that would be at least, I'd imagine, a thirty to forty billion rand transaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, does MTN really want to take on that level of of risk at this stage, especially given what's going on in Nigeria right now and the uncertainty yeah, there. Yeah. Um, MTN already, it, it's, its um, balance sheet is really highly leveraged. Um, does it really want to leverage that balance sheet even further to take on MT, uh, take on Telcom? Or could the deal be done in some sort of other way? Um, certainly it wouldn't be Telcom doing the buying. They're too small sure, relative sure. to MTN. Um, could it be some sort of merger of equals? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I guess you also have to ask who's. I mean, who's got the most to gain from this, and would it then make business sense? It would give oh, Telcom yeah. scale. Telcom doesn't have the scale. It, arguably, I should say, it doesn't doesn't necessarily have the scale it needs to compete in the mobile space. Although they've been doing a very good job in coming to the market with some very aggressive offerings, uh, particularly those freemium plans. But um, but you know they're still tiny relative to the others, and they've got a, a very small network. But at the same time, they have a roaming agreement with MTN, which gives them uh, national scope, albeit only on 3G. Um, would a deal like this make sense? Uh, I don't know. It, it's, mm. I, I don't think it would be a straight acquisition because I don't think that would be permitted by the competition authorities and probably not by ICASA either. Um, would it make sense for consumers and for the companies? Perhaps. Um, the, uh, the worry is that it would reduce competition. Um, maybe they merge at an infrastructure level and compete at a service level. And that's a possibility, I suppose. Yeah, well, that um, could make sense. But again, would that be allowed? Um, we know a few years ago that uh, that uh, Telcom and MTN wanted to do an, what it was called, a, I think it was called an active RAN sharing agreement, which um, basically means they would have shared spectrum resources. Um, that was uh, blocked before it even got to the competition authorities. Um, so, you know, if, if there's a merger of some kind, even at an infrastructure level, it would be that would be a more significant uh, deal um, than what, what what was not permitted a few years ago when they tried to do a deal. Um, mm. So there's there's no immediate reason to believe that would be allowed to go through unless there's some sort of change at a policy level. Um, but we've got the policymakers trying to increase competition in this market, not decrease it. Although arguably they're trying to increase it at the um, 
at the uh, at the service level, not the, necessarily at the infrastructure level. So maybe there's an argument to be made that an infrastructure deal might you know, see mm. favour with the policymaker, the government. Um, but it's it's a tricky one. I mean, you know, do they really want to get tied up in in trying to do a complex deal that at the end of the day might be rejected? Do they really want to yeah. spend yeah. all that management time involved in something that might not see the light of day? Um, is this perhaps in a in a in an effort to keep telecom alive, or is it just to to shake up the market? Do you think? I don't. Th- I don't know. I mean, telecom, I guess, is in quite a precarious position, but its mobile side is is its best performing division. Um, mm. It's fixed, so for, it's fixed it makes sense. is under pressure, but the mobile side is is doing quite well. So it makes a lot of sense for them to become a bigger player on the on the on the mobile side. Yeah. But short of them spending that money to build their own infrastructure, which is doesn't not feasible right now, you know, um, not yeah, to build. The infra, the, yeah, not to build. But the infrastructure would make sense for them to again have access to it, or at least have mm. better pricing for their customers to it, so that they can compor- perform more competitively. Yeah, and of course we've got the WoAN thrown into this mix as well, the wholesale open access network, uh, which Telcom has said it supports. So. Uh, you know, that could be another avenue for them. Um, mm. Vodacom and MTN have already committed um, uh, through the proposed hybrid model, which the government now seems to be adopting, that they'd buy 30% of the capacity of the WOAN. So Telcom could uh, look at using the WOAN's infrastructure to, to build out its infrastructure more across South Africa. So mm-hmm. would it, again, if the WOAN is there, would they need to do a deal with another operator? Um, I think the message that's coming yeah. out here is that um, from an infrastructure perspective, um, perhaps South Africa can't support four operators on a national scope. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah, and of course there was that report a couple of weeks ago as well that um, Vodacom is looking – sorry, not Vodacom uh, – Telcom is looking potentially to shift its roaming agreement away from MTN and onto, uh, onto Vodacom, which would be interesting because Cell C oh, is yeah. just is in the process of moving away from Vodacom to MTN. Um, and Celsius got a much nicer deal now with uh, with MTN than Telcom does. Um, in that uh, <laughs> in that uh, the the Celsius deal includes 4G LTE, and Telcom's roaming deal with MTN is only 3G. Um, there is some there is some more uh, nuance to that because yeah. uh, the uh, Celsius new agreement with MTN is is uh, is um, I'm not sure what the techn- technical term is, but it's geographically constrained. So if you're in Gauteng, mm. for example, where CLC has a, a well-developed network, you actually literally will not be able to connect to the MTN 4G network. However, if you travel into a remote part of the country, say the Free State, then you will be able to roam onto the 4G network of MTN. So they've limited limited it on a geographic basis, whereas at the moment, if you're on Telcom and you're in the middle of Johannesburg and you want to switch across to MTN roaming, you can. You can do it anywhere you mm, want. Mm. Um so there's 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 nuance there, but rumors of, of of negotiations with Vodacom about a roaming agreement. And obviously, Vodacom is keen to, I'd imagine, have a roaming partner on its network because it's losing a lot of yeah. going to lose a lot of revenue when CLC moves across to MTN um, and cancels that agreement. Um, so they are the whole industry is in a bit of flux at the moment. And of course, on top of all of this, Rachat is uh, 5G is looming, and mm. 5G may be the thing that's exercising everybody's minds here because 5G is going to require an enormous, enormous investment. Um, it's going to, at least at first, require a, a much denser network um, when yeah. they start rolling yeah. out in urban areas. Um, you're literally going to have a base station, possibly even multiple base stations every, on every street. Um, 
These are going to be small base stations using high frequencies, possibly in lampposts and things like that. Uh, it would, sorry, it would make a lot of sense for a company like you know what the fiber providers did, you know, to step in here and say, okay, we we are going to do some infrastructure, and then everybody who wants to use it, uh, you know, can then access that, like uh, like they do with the fiber hmm. um, deployments in neighborhoods. Because the infrastructure is there on every corner. Uh, you probably just need some different box, uh, maybe a lamppost with something on it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we will see something like that, especially especially because the, the operators will now have to spend even more money to get those. Mm. Uh, although they do have the footprint for the existing uh, base stations, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just going to be upgrading rather than replacing outright. So the question, I mean, so the huge investment is going to be required for 5G, and the, the question is, will Celsi and Telcom, as the smaller players in the industry, be able to compete uh, with the big boys in, on, mm. on, on the infrastructure side of things? And possibly not. Possibly not. Um, certainly, um, Celsi has been always been a kind of been a bit of a generation behind. You know, they were the last to launch 3G in South Africa, for example. I think they were also um, well after Vodacom and MTN and launching LTE. Mm. Um, and uh, we're seeing the sort of consolidation in other markets too. In China, there's talk about reducing the number of, of players there from three to two. It's in a market of 1.4 billion people. Um, so maybe there's an argument that there needs to be some, mm, some sort, of, mm. sort of consolidation at an infrastructure level. Whether that's done through um, through market agreements, through deals, um, it seems difficult to see that happening because given our tight competition rules. Um, so maybe it has to happen through the ambit of, of the WAN. Maybe that's the way that um, people are going to start to consolidate infrastructure um, because uh, duplicating infrastructure nationally uh, for 5G does seem like it's going to be an unnecessary and wasteful expense. Oh, yeah, especially if the costs involved are anything close to what they're going to, what they are predicted in terms of just, you know, the cost for the deployment. Yeah. It's probably going to be more um, yeah. I mean, when, when the tech is there. It's going to be tens and tens of billions around um, in, in South Africa alone. Uh, to roll out, to start to roll out 5G. Mm. Um, but we are still a few years away from widespread 5G deployments. Of course, Vodacom and MTN will rush into the market as soon as they've got some spectrum and say, we've launched 5G, but it'll be very limited, maybe to parts of Santon and the center mm. of Cape Town um, and specific niche applications um, for, for industry, maybe in the mines or uh, you know in a warehousing area yeah. or something like that. But you and I aren't going to see 5G for at least two or three years i would imagine not not on any sort of wise you mm. won't have it at, at your house for example i would imagine for at least two or three years yeah but it really has become less of an issue from a consumer point of view there's a lot of good that will come from 5g yes we do need that uh, improved bandwidth capacity the higher throughputs lower latencies but you know let's be honest we've got plenty of bandwidth at our disposal when we're at home we likely we we're most likely on fiber i know not mm -hmm. everybody has access to it but you know the people that really want to use 5g or, or those high the, you know those uh, broader spectrums uh, for their mobile device you know it's not like we, we're mm. dying for the capacity now no 4g which LTE is, good. is a good technology and it's going to continue to improve oh, yeah. i um yeah and 5g initially will be as a will be a fiber replacement technology it's not going mm. to be a mobile technology it'll be like in the early days of 3g and the early days of 4g the early adopters will be the guys who've got the fixed modems at home or in mm. the business environment that connects on a fixed wireless basis um, it, it'll be a couple of years after that that we start to see a real prolif beginning yeah. of a proliferation yeah. of smartphones that support 5g 
And at the end of the day, do smartphones really need really need 5G? I mean, five, the stuff mm-hmm. that 5G is promising is um, it, it's more to do with specific applications, autonomous cars, um, uh, specific industry applications, Internet of Things, that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. To be honest, a 50 megabit per second connection on my phone via LTE is more than enough. No, definitely by today's technology standards. But uh, fast forward five to ten years when the next iPhone 20S or XXXIS, how much will that cost? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, besides the cost factor. But, you know, the technology is going to require more uh, throughput in any case. It will. And Um, and new applications will emerge and no doubt in time we'll figure out a way to use 5G in our handsets. But um, I don't see an application for 5G on a smartphone right now. But, I mean, even having said that, you know, South Africa has had to – really adapt to the kind of fixed line infrastructure simply because we've had these um, well i mean we have a combination of it right in places where we can't reach with uh, you know uh, copper or fiber um, the 3g kind of technologies were ideal now that we're getting to a place where we've got so much fiber going into the ground i mean fast forward a few years we're going to have even more mm-hmm. The requirement for, I mean, yes, we will get this technology, but like I said, the requirement to get this immediately, even with high-end devices, is going to be a little bit less because we're going to have a really good um, to the business or to the home or to the coffee shop or to the pub or wherever you hang out. Like all the places I go to have good fiber these days. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously that's still, we obviously going to have to see some upgrades there too to catch up with, uh, you know, that seven, eight terabit speed is going to be required by that iPhone 20s. but i mean i guess that technology will roll out a lot more smoothly than these mobile technologies because the infrastructure isn't or or the the cost required isn't going to be as much you know you Mm. either just need to put a new type of fiber in that's going to allow better throughput Um, Mm. that we obviously don't require that yet yeah you're right in many respects 5g seems to be a competitor to wi-fi on top of of fiber Mm. um Mm. it's uh it's uh, yeah. It 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 seems so different to previous um, mobile generations. It seems it seems the applications are going to be completely different. Um, yeah, it's. I suppose it'll give you fiber-like service wherever you go mm-hmm. down the line. So maybe that's the. Maybe that's the appeal of it. Um, no, for sure. It, look, it would be amazing to have. If, if it, but it, it, I kind of also think it would be. It would be. Um, nobody, the consumer won't see the difference, or, or they won't notice where they are connected to. They'll just be connected at a very fast speed. You know, switching between Wi-Fi and a 5G-like technology yeah. without you having to do it. So you're just going to be using your phone. Make sure you've got the right subscriptions with the right companies. If you pay the right money to the right companies, you get access to that and. The rest is just, you know, you just use it. Mm. You pay the money, you get the product. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, Telcom and MTN possibly merging? I I think it's unlikely, but you never know. You never know. Mm. But it's the regulatory environment in South Africa, I, I, I suspect, is, is going to stop that from happening. Oh. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think that's um, up for debate. And I think both companies, so just one last thing on that, both mm. companies have other issues to worry about. I mean, MTN has obviously their, their fine issue, and uh, Telcom with the government have SAA to sort out. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't is, think this course, is top of the cards. There is, of course, the government factor in Telcom. It's not, this isn't just two commercial organizations. This is one organization that's 40% mm. owned by the South African government, and I suppose ultimately anything they decide to do has to be uh, green-lighted by the government. 
So if the government wants it to happen, then uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a way. There are ways and means, but um, <laughs> but uh, uh, if it's just left to uh, if it's just left to the Competition Commission and ICASA to decide, I strongly suspect it's not going to see the light of day. Um, but if there's political will, then maybe it'll happen. Mm-hmm. But again, as the Sunday Times pointed out, this, uh, these these discussions are very early stage, so um, it's going to be a long time, I suspect, before we hear anything formal, if we ever do. So interesting. Um, did you see the the presentation? Watch the presentation by the president on Friday morning, um, where he um, lifted the curtains on his plans to stimulate the South African economy, yeah. create an infrastructure fund. Now, obviously, for uh, Tech Central, the most interesting stuff in there was the stuff that he said on Spectrum. It wasn't a huge amount of detail, and he didn't really say how it was going to be done. Uh, but he did say that um, there is an urgency to release high-demand Spectrum to the operators, which is finally, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been waiting for this for a very long time. But again, uh, as I, I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts, this seems to be turning into my favorite phrase of this year, the devil is in the detail. Um, <laughs> we... Uh, I spoke to the, the minister's uh, spokesman, Sia Koza, from the Department of Telecommunications and Postal Services. And he said the intention soon, I don't have a specific date yet, he's promised to get back to me with that information, but uh, the, the intention soon, and I'm imagining this is going to be in the next few weeks, is to issue a policy direction to ICASA to go ahead with the licensing of um, of Spectrum. Now, Devil will be in the detail again in terms of what this policy direction says and how the spectrum is going to be released. Now, what's interesting is it appears that this is going to go. This is going ahead before the conclusion of the legislative amendments in terms of the Electronic Communications Amendment Bill. Now, it had been expected that uh, there would be no spectrum released until the uh, the ECAB, as it's known, um, had been finalised and gazetted into law. Now, um, clearly there's been pressure from the President Ramaphosa to get the situation dealt with more quickly, and uh, the talk is now that they're going to be doing it in parallel. So it looks like uh, commercial operators are going to be licensed spectrum uh, ahead of the completion of the legislation. I presume what that means is that um, the policy direction is going to state how much spectrum should then be reserved for the wholesale open access network and how much should go to uh, commercial operators. Um, I can only imagine that that's going to be a key component of the policy direction that gets issued because they go, we know the government wants to go ahead with this WOAN and um, they're going to need some spectrum to do it. Now, the CSIR has produced a report on state, stating exactly how much spectrum the WOAN is likely to need to be able to roll out this network. The government is treating this CSIR report like a state secret. Um, I know that uh, the DA, uh, Marion Shin, the MP, has um, filed a Promotion of Access to Information Act request uh, to get a copy of this CSIR report, but it really has been treated like a state secret. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to finally be published once we see the um, the policy direction that's issued to ICASA, because presumably that's going to have to form the basis of what's said in the policy direction in terms of how much spectrum is reserved for the com- for commercial operators and how much is reserved for the wholesale open access network. Um, but I, I'm imagining we're going to be seeing this document uh, within the next few weeks. So exciting times at last, and it looks like pressure is being brought by the president on the Minister of Telecommunications to get a move on with this. And um, I think once the... Um, once ICASA is, has got this policy direction, it's going to be able to move pretty quickly. Um, if it decides to go with a spectrum auction, which is what I suspect they're going to do for the commercial operators, uh, I suspect the WOAN will be gifted the spectrum, but I think the commercial mm. operators will have to bid in, in a spectrum auction. 
um, they can do it quite quickly. Um, you know, there, there are lots of companies internationally that do specialize in doing spect- radio frequency spectrum auctions. So all Carson needs to do is, is contract one of them, I presume through a tender process, um, bring them in, and they run the auction. And um, this isn't a process. I, I don't think that should take more than a few months. So, um, you know, with, with with these latest developments, I'm fairly optimistic that uh, the um, the commercial operators, at least, will have um, will have new radio frequency spectrum in their hands uh, by the first half of next year. Very geeky, but very exciting stuff. Yes, yeah, very geeky. Very exciting. <laughs> to get even geekier, we're talking about. Uh, we look. It looks like we're talking about the 700, 800 megahertz bands, as well as the two point six mm. gigahertz bands. Um, two point six can be put to use immediately. It's lying fallow at the moment. Um, the seven hundred and eight hundred megahertz bands are more problematic because um, obviously they're still being used uh, by the analog television broadcasters because our uh, digital migration project is so far behind schedule. Yeah, that's another another thorn in the side, eh? But I see no reason why they shouldn't allocate it now and allow the operators to mm. begin to prepare to, to to use it. You know, the digital migration project is starting to move ahead again. Um, there was even talk this week about uh, the first transmitter site being switched off in the Free State uh, analog transmitter site. Um, it, in fact, it was published in the in the cabinet statements this week saying that they were going to be switching it off this week. I then spoke to... Uh, uh, a source at um, the Department of Communications, and apparently there was some sort of delay, so it wasn't switched off this week. But um, they are uh, moving ahead, and um, I think over the coming months we're going to see more and more of uh, transmitter sites being switched off. And as those are switched off, if the mobile operators have access to seven and eight hundred megahertz spectrum, they can start to um, s- start to switch on their towers in mm-hmm. those areas and start to offer four uh, G LTE. Uh, in those lower frequency bands, which is going to be fantastic for delivering mobile broadband to r- rural consumers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now we need to work on pricing, and then uh, everybody can win. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Um, but it's quite exciting. I think it's. Uh, I, th- I think that we have to see what's going to be in this uh, um, policy direction, and hopefully there's no big surprises in there. But uh, um, I-, I just have to say that um, it's. I think it's – I think it's good that the president is starting to drive this and starting to crack the whip. And uh, um, I think it bodes well for his presidency if he can keep it up and uh, continue to put the pressure on and uh, not just do it in this sector, but do it right across the economy. Uh, It's early days, but let's see what comes out of it. Yeah, South Africa certainly needs to be driving a lot more on the tech side. I mean, this is this is the fundamental basis to, to the future, right? Absolutely. And these networks, the rollout of these networks is absolutely crucial to what the politicians love to call the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Without this layer of infrastructure, the stuff is just not going to happen. And the government should not be doing it. It should be commercial operators ro- driving the rollout. We know the government is no good at rolling out networks. Uh, we've seen this through multiple uh, experiments in the South African market from Centec to Broadband Infraco. They haven't worked. Um, let Give the spectrum to the commercial guys and let them get on with the job. And uh, hopefully that's what's going to happen and that the, um, that the policy direction issued by Siabonga Kwele is not full of um, big surprises. <laughs> yeah, touch wood. <laughs> All right, we need to take a quick ad break. We'll be back right after these messages. Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. 
and being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Are you a search engine? Because you found me. I feel we have a strong connection. Well, you're pretty fly for a Wi-Fi. Should we drop it like a hotspot and head back to yours so we can show Max and snuggle? Let's get giga with it. Uh, but I don't have fiber. Don't get caught in 50 shades of delay. Broadband your horizons and switch to Vox's super-fast, super-reliable fiber network. Experience the momentum. Connect your world. Visit us at vox.co.za forward slash fiber. Welcome back to the show. How's it, Rehart? How's it, Duncan? Good, thanks. So there really is a lot of news to talk about this week. Um, <laughs> big news, big, <laughs> yeah. big stories. Um, and, uh, um, you know, normal news week, this probably would have been our top story of the day, but uh, it's pushed down to third on the list. Nicepash announcing last week that uh, they're going to offload multi-choice to shareholders and list the company on the JSE. Significant development. Oh, yeah, massive, massive. Also, sign of the times, eh? Streaming and digital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting. I I I had I chatted to both uh, Bob Van Dyke, the group CEO of Naspash, and to Calvin Mawela, the CEO of MultiChoice South Africa, and the um, and to Mutas um, Patel, who's the CEO of Naspash Video Entertainment, about this. And and the view was, uh, we're not we're not getting rid of MultiChoice because we're worried about the company's future. We just feel that this is the best route to unlock value for shareholders, etc. And there is some, no so no doubt some 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 truth to that, um, and no doubt this is part of the the strategy to unlock unlock shareholder value in light of the fact that NicePouch is trading at such a huge discount to the value of its stake in China's Tencent. And um, in, in effect, as many analysts have pointed out over the years, NicePouch is trading um, – or NicePouch's other businesses outside of Tencent are, have zero valuation attached to them. Um, they, they really are worth nothing. So if you spin them out like this, then hopefully they'll um, – you know, it'll be a win for shareholders, and I'm sure it will be. And that that um, discount hopefully will be unlocked as well. It also means NicePatch is now almost exclusively an internet company getting out of the broadcasting space. The only mm-hmm. legacy business they have left in there is Media24. Uh, and one does wonder how much longer that's going to be in the stable if they can find a buyer for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long, when last did you buy a magazine? <clears throat> um, yesterday, actually. If I'd <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. no, I still love them. I still look at them all the time. But you know, this uh, you know, unless it's a unless it's a tech magazine or something that I you know, especially international import or yeah. those kind of things. You know, I really find myself buying because when I look at the cover, the news is you know, mm. you've either read it or you've seen it on Twitter or you're going to be reading it online. I read a lot of um, magazines on my iPad. Uh, the vast majority. I read a lot of magazines. I, I've probably got five or six subscription magazine subscriptions on my iPad. Um, oh, but these aren't physical purchases. So you're not buying the paper version. You're no, buying a digital no. version. Yeah. No, I buy the Financial Mail once a week. I, I, I like which magazine. Can you argue if it's still print? It's not print anymore. Then it's you're reading digital, right? <laughs> well, I, the FM I buy in print. Um, okay. I, just, okay, yeah. I prefer the experience, but um, mm. to the, their iPad edition. But I, uh, you know, everything else I'm reading on my iPad. Maximum PC Wired magazine. Mm. Um, mm. Um, can't even remember what else I subscribe to. Uh, the Spectator. Um, I read them all on my iPad. But we nice, digress. Nice. We digress. Uh, <laughs> we do. <laughs> um, Nuspash uh, offloading, uh, multi-choice. Um, it, it does raise the question, Rechot, about whether 
um, whether NUSPAT has uh, seen the writing on the wall, whether they see this as now as a legacy pay TV business, the competition is coming from Netflix and the streaming providers. Can they really compete? Um, are they going to be forced to cut their prices? You know, they're really losing customers mm. in the DSTV premium mm. segment. Uh, so at, at another level, while it, it looks good for shareholders, um, one does wonder whether uh, whether Nuspash is a bit nervous about the future prospects for multi-choice in light of this new competition that's coming into the market. That being said, I think that um, I think that Nusp- uh, that multi-choice is a very very good business, very well run, very cash generative, um, smart people, and they are developing streaming products uh, that that um, that they hope will compete with these international providers. It's going to be difficult. But I don't think we should write them off. Um, no. They're still a powerful player. There's still huge opportunity in the rest of Africa where Internet um, is very poorly developed and people are not going to be doing, doing streaming on capped mobile accounts. I think that, um, I think that the, the potent, there's still a lot of potential in multi-choice. So mm. uh, if I was a NASPAR shareholder, I'm not. If I was a NASPAR shareholder and I was offered shares in multi-choice, I think I would choose to keep them. I 100% agree with you. I mean, I also saw this as a bit of a weird move, but I think, I mean, my question is, wouldn't it give multi-choice more agility, um, give it the capability to maybe become more of a digital player? Or, or may, maybe it had a it better could. kind of a home under Nuspers for that kind of growth, did it? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the other businesses in Nuspers weren't really um – weren't really tech-driven, uh, complementary. I mean, multi-choice couldn't work with Tencent. It couldn't work with OLX. They're not really complementary mm. businesses. Mm. So maybe set free, um, they are going to be they're going to be able to do things that perhaps they couldn't do as uh, you know under the nice mm. mothership. I don't know, um, but it, it's a, I, I suspect it's going to infuse a new sense of energy into multi-choice. Um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, new shareholders. Um, set free from the mothership. Um, they, we could see some interesting things coming out of multi-choice, particularly from a technology and streaming perspective over the next little while. You know, we're expecting some big things from from them in the not too distant future. I, I, I would highly expect a, a 4K um, PVR to be coming. Uh, I don't have any insight, but I'd imagine that a 4K PVR is going to be in the market within the next 12 to 18 months at the latest. Interesting, interesting. Um, they have to. I mean, it's the next logical thing. Um, mm. um, but content is still going to, I mean, you can have a beautiful output, but you're still going to have to, that content plan needs to improve the whole time. And they, they've yeah. done a lot, I would agree. I mean, you know, especially when they started introducing kind of straight from the US type of shows. Um, but again, you know, if I've, if I've been looking at the TV guide just to see kind of the amount of repetition that there is, uh, that's still a huge issue for them. There's not original content to, to, to showcase, you know, most of the days. There's a lot of. Well, I think it's the problem with multi-choice is, and the DSTV platform is, is, is how do you surface the content? I mean, I do not watch live television anymore. I do, I simply mm, do not mm. sit, sit on my couch. Channel surfing, and I'm sure there are lots of people who still do it, but I don't, and I'm sure I'm, I'm one of a growing number of people who don't like to do that. Mm, they, mm. You know, I don't know, I can't remember how many channels are on DSTV Premium. There's probably eighty or ninety of them, but it's it's, it's a soul destroying thing to sit in front of your TV and click through these channels trying to find something to watch. Either it's a movie that's already halfway finished, yeah, yeah. or uh, it's a repeat, or it's um, it's it's. Uh, um, Advertising. Um, they do run too much of their own advertising on the mm-hmm. platform, which mm-hmm. I always found mm-hmm. a bit strange. Why advertise it's yourself on your own platform? Uh, maybe it's just to try and convince people not to leave the platform. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I, I think they, they need to do a better job, and they've started to do it, but they need to do a better mm. job of helping their subscribers to surface content. Because mm. if they can do that, then I think people are going to see more value in it. And they've done a lot of work around that already, especially around the catch-up service. Um, but they, they need to make it easier. Um, and they have, they've started doing it. Like the app, for example, you can t- set it up to, um, to record things when you're away. You can, um, you can, or you can also watch content on the go, mm. which is fantastic. Mm. Mm. Um, and you can have it alert you when, um, you know, what the Sunday night movie happens to be, for example. But they can do a heck of a lot more around that, around, um, um, maybe the way Netflix does it. I mean, yeah. you know, you fire up Netflix and it's, it shows you the, the you know, the latest greatest show that you, based on artificial intelligence algorithms, etc., that it thinks that you're going to like. Mm. Um, yeah. And I've got no doubt they're thinking in this direction. Um, but and I think that's their future is, is 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 becoming a platform not of linear TV channels, although those will obviously stay, but to become a much more of a platform that helps you decide, as a consumer, as a television watcher. Uh, what find something that you are interested in when you sit down in front of your TV. Yeah, they have to adapt to that kind of viewing. Um, but I also think they have to make a massive plan content creation. They have to, or at least production thereof. Um, because they are in a very unique position. Like, you know, they've, they've got, they've got the audiences, they've got the infrastructure, and they've got a fantastic business. I mean, if you look at the, even the, just the quality of the ads they produce in us, I mean, if you take some of that skills and produce some really good stuff around that, you know, um, that's what's going to draw people and make them stay on the platform. That and obviously the right licenses to the right content. So if yep. you give me Game of Thrones before anybody else, I will likely subscribe to your service to get that if I want to watch that. Yeah. Having said that, the, the, that big argument of uh, un- unbundling certain channels and making it um, easier for people to get hold of, uh, you know, the sports, for example, and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's that's still going to be a, a, a hot topic, um, and I don't know how they're going to address that. But uh, maybe there's going to be a solution in it when they do start producing that platform where you log on, like you said, and it, it, it shows what you need to watch up front. Um, and everything, barring a few live channels, is on demand only. So if you, you don't, you never get to a point where you click onto the movie channel, which is essentially an outdated technology. Why yeah. would you want to jump into the middle of a movie? It doesn't make sense. Movies are, movie. movies are an excellent example. Why why even have a, a linear broadcasting yes, movie yes, channel? Yes. It it doesn't make sense anymore. Because you pay for you pay for broadcast, right? So if that thing is playing at three o'clock in the morning, it might be a, a, a free stream that you can do or free broadcast that you can do on your license agreement if it's three o'clock in the morning. But you're still paying for that. Whereas if you pay per stream, I'm sure there's a different model that the guys like Netflix use, where they obviously pay for the amount of people that view, um, as opposed to playing at 3 a.m. in the morning when nobody's probably going to be watching it unless it's a TV that's on somewhere that's just yeah. spewing out content. Um, and undoubtedly, there are people who still watch TV that way, uh, but it's going to change. It's going to change mm. quickly, mm. Um, particularly as, as broadband proliferates. And obviously, you can already store a limited number of movies on the PVR. Um, but uh, you know, already in the catch-up service, there's a huge number of movies that you can stream on demand over the Internet. Uh, that'll continue to grow. Um, well, multi-choice's movie selection, by the way, is far superior to Netflix's. Um, if you yeah, they've got much broader. Li- yeah, I mm. mean they've got stuff on there that you expect to find in a DVD store when you, a DVD store when yeah. you get went down the road. Yeah, um, I'd ha- I have found it with Netflix uh, again, but you wouldn't subscribe just to one. You need to have a few. You know, you need to have access to a few to get all yeah. the shows you want. Yeah, um, that's just the reality of it. 
Yeah, I think the problem for many people is, um, particularly on the DSTV premium side of things, you're already paying such a large amount of money for DSTV premium. It, it almost feels painful to have to pay for that and for Netflix and possibly for something mm. else. Mm. Um, now, they do throw Showmax in there for free now. Um, oh, that's cool. But still, it's a lot of money. Um, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of customers would pay for the DSTV premium experience without Supersport. And and um, mm, half mm, half the price mm. because I would imagine a big chunk of that price you're paying for DSTV Premium is for those twelve sports channels and I think a lot of people mm. don't watch sport and would very much like to pay uh, significantly less for their DSTV Premium subscription simply because they don't want to watch Super Sport one to twelve. Yeah, but the opposite is also very true. There's only there's people that only want to watch the sports or like me for example. I don't watch sports generally. Yeah. But if you give me a rugby season pass that allows me to, in the Springbok season, subscribe to all the channels, I would pay five, six, eight hundred a grand for it. You know, depending on, like I said, you know, how does it cost to get there? How much does the ticket cost to watch these things? And I mean, you can spread this out for any sport. Um, on demand is definitely where it is for the sports channels. Yeah, and they make, could prob- make they could probably sorry, they could probably make more money actually through that uh, yeah. uh, by by charging a, a bit of a premium on either. I mean, I don't know what the cost of SuperSport is re- relative to the rest of the bouquet, but I imagine I'd imagine. I mean, let's just say it's fifty fifty. I don't know if it is, but let's just say it's fifty fifty. So you're paying nine hundred rand odd for your premium subscription. Uh, divide that by two. That's four fifty each. I think you could easily get people to pay five hundred rand for the SuperSport channels on their own, and five hundred yeah. rand for the for the for the non uh, super sport channels on their own, um, and you know by doing that you're actually making mm. more money. No, I agree with you, but you, I, I would love to see the viewership on some of those odd channels. I mean, do people? Uh, well, well, I guess again, this is where my on demand argument comes in. Do a lot of people sit there and watch those shows? I mean, they've obviously got a lot of their own produced shows, which which is fantastic on the local sports side, which must cost a lot of money, by the way. Yeah. Um, but how much of the viewership watch all those channels versus watching the the big sports games, the soccer, the cricket, the rugby? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of ESPN-like content that oh, – are they just fillers or are they actual – I mean, I enjoy watching it, but I never go there just to watch it when I sit yeah. in front of somebody at ESTV. I suppose the danger is if they allow you to pick by, by sporting codes specifically. Um, let's say you only want Supersport super 1 for the rugby. Then I suppose the smaller sporting codes end up losing out because mm. no one's watching them. Mm. Whereas the but moment, are people watching them? That's the question. Like, I'm sure they do have If there are viewers, people watching them. I'm sure they do have But viewers. then they'll be able to – but then surely they'll be able to sell that as a separate uh, um, you know, bundle. Get, get these sports, these sports channels um, yeah. for X price because that will still be re- – People will still buy if there's a demand for it. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's cross-subsidization that goes on. And sport is also very much about live, obviously, watching it live. And then there's a proportion of it that's after the fact. So people who can't miss it or who can't watch it or get it late and they just want to rewind to the beginning. Mm. But it's unlike other content. You know, there's obviously the produced content that Supersport does, which is good stuff. But um, – most of the sport you really want to watch live, I would imagine. Mm. Um, so that that again is the on-demand play. You know, pay pay per view is is I think where they get the guys. Yeah, that's that's in my opinion where where, where they should go. Yeah, 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 I think you're absolutely right. But lots of it's an interesting times at Multi Choice, and if I was uh, a member of the management team there, I think I'd be quite excited about uh, the prospect of listing mm. on the JSE and being separate mm. from Las Paris. It's going to infuse so much new energy into that place. Um, you know, I think uh, I think a lot of people bash multi-choice over the head, um, and, and sometimes it's probably fair. But 
they're also a very well-run company and um, a South African company. And, um, you know, I, you know, I think they've made mistakes over the years. They certainly have made mistakes over the years um, when we saw what they did around the ANN7 issue. But, <laughs> uh, but they're, also, they're also a good company. And I think that... Um, I think that it would be sad if they, if they, um, if they die. But they're not mm. going to die. They're, they're smart no, guys. They're gonna. So. They 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 know they're they're facing an existential threat when it comes to internet streaming, and uh, they're going to mm. fight back. And it's ultimately going to be good for consumers. And I suppose we could we could say we're we're entering the era now of multi choice two point whatever yeah. that means. <laughs> and I mean, I, it, in, in in a final point for me, I think in a in a in a lack of a really good national broadcast. I mean, that, yes, the SABC is improving. But in that lack, again, multi-choice has such an awesome opportunity to, to, to be a producer of content. I don't have to physically go be shooting stuff, but I mean, they've got the, they've got the infrastructure to do a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, to produce really good content. I'm not talking about another, uh, another show where they're trying to show talent and stuff. I mean, <laughs> we need proper good content, you know, the documentaries, the, you know, the good shows, the produced shows, whether it's com, com- comedies or dramas and, that is that is what makes people subscribe to a service as well. You know? You're right. Local content is critical, and that's exactly. where multi-choice potentially is very strong relative to Netflix. Mm. And another rerun of a Leon Schuster movie isn't the way to win over customers. <laughs> Let's be honest. You see, he has a new movie coming. Yeah, I saw that. Hide Look, now. I mean, I love Leon Schuster. I mean, I grew up, I grew up with that. Yeah. And I watched those with uh, a lot of joy because, you know, it reminds me of when I was a kid watching these things and laughing. Yes. But a lot of it's dated now. And Very if you've dated. seen it so much, you know, if because they've been repeating for the last decade or two. They, there was like a time that everything just came back. Yeah. It's it's too much, you know. It's yeah. Give us better, more current. If If they can show reruns like that, they can – Produce, show us more current stuff, you know, educate, mm. um, educate us with better, newer comedy. Because a lot of that stuff is very old and probably not always applicable in a South African current context, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. I often see Leon Schuster, by the way. He hangs out at uh, my local coffee shop. So he's nice. I often he's see a him. legend. Now, yeah. I, I love what he's done. Yeah. But again, you know, he's one guy. And, and mm. why is, is there so much else out there that we can be enjoying? Why is that stuff not coming mm. to the front? And I'm not the only one that thinks like this, obviously. Yeah. But, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, iPhone 10s pricing in South Africa, officially announced by the iStore this week. And the phones start for the 64 gigabyte <laughs> iPhone 10s model at 22,000 rand, 21999, and they only go up from there. Um, the 512 gigabyte iPhone 10s, 29,999 rand. Mm. Uh, the cheapest iPhone 10s Max, that's the 64 gigabyte model, 23999. And the top end iPhone XS Max, 512 gigabyte model, 31999. Wow. It's like a joke. It's like they're playing a joke on the, uh, the, the global population. How much will people pay for our product? Let's see. Roll let's, the dice, get a number. Let's keep pushing it up until they stop buying it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I appreciate the technology, but. Wow, that's expensive. No, yeah, that is. I will not at that. I, will, I can't see myself spending thirty thousand unless it does something that I need for work purposes and mm. I can make money off of it. If it makes calls and does WhatsApp and do Facebook and Instagram, yeah. I was looking. I was. Uh, I was giving some thought to the iPhone XS Max two fifty six gig uh, before the pricing came out. Um, before the um, you know when the rumors were happening before the keynote. But 27,000 Rand for a smartphone? Um, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think I'll stick with my Android. 
What will a contract version of that? I mean, that must cost a one and a half to two grand if at the oh, high contract. end version. Yeah, Probably. it must be in that. Um, because if I look at a normal, what, 10, 10 grand phone is about, you know, you can probably get it for like 800 rand or 600 rand on a contract, yeah. 800 bucks. I think what I saw one of the operators was offering the entry level one, the 22,000 rand one for one three a month. Um, that's phone only. Sure. So you're looking, you're, you're, you're look, you'll be looking at about 1,800 rand to 2,000 rand a month for on a subsidized basis, I'd think. Yeah. It's a, again, you know, it's a status symbol. If you've got one of those on the table, um, it says something about your spending ability. Or that, or it, it, it's what you intend to say about your spending ability. Intend to, yeah. I think a lot There's of people the, will be using these phones that actually can't really afford them. Exactly. But you know, will it run any of these applications any better? I mean, yes, they need to push technology, and yes, it's going to be more expensive. But twenty thousand rand more than a, a, a really good Android phone. Oh, I don't know. Mm, I'd look at. I think I'd seriously consider a Huawei or a Samsung over one of these mm. iPhones. Mm. You're paying significantly less. Even the Samsung, which is expensive, the Galaxy Note 9, for example, which competes head-on with the iPhone XS Max, uh, that's nineteen thousand rand, um, which uh, up to this point has been considered a pricey phone. Now we're talking. Yeah. Now we're talking uh, a good uh, number above that. So. Um, yeah, and they'll they'll sell them like they'll sell like hotcakes. I can guarantee mm. it. They'll sell yeah, it's like going to be difficult to get all of them, definitely. Mm. But we are a con, you know contracts make it a lot easier, and that's where people are going to. I think most people will just will pay it off every month. We want it. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a lovely phone to use. I'm sure, but still, but, I mean, it's it, can you justify it? I would much rather look at something like that and say, okay, let's buy more tech. Let, instead of just getting one piece of tech, let me get that and another and, good digital camera or a good TV or a yeah. good gaming device or upgrade my PC. I think there's a lot more you can do if you want to be spending money on tech. Yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, for a, for a, just to take an example, you could buy a P20 Pro from Huawei and buy the latest Xbox One X and have change left over um, compared to the, just buying an iPhone yeah, X Max. Yeah. But how would you buy it if you have cash? That's an option. But I guess most people, again, credit-driven yeah. um, industries and nations – it's not what you can afford. It's what you've got access to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, interesting stuff. I'm still waiting for the new iPad announcement. I hope Apple doesn't go crazy on the pricing on that. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, there a different usage case scenario. You can you can argue that that is that it's a different type of device. It's more of a computer. In in fact, it'll probably alleviate time off your de uh, off your notebook mm. um, because you'll be using it more um, so there you can justify a bigger price but uh, the thing is it's much cheaper the iPad is a cheaper device than the iPhone which is just crazy it is crazy okay. yeah. but I guess smaller tech is always look somebody has to push the boundary and we know why Apple is such a, a such a, a, a wealthy company mm. because they are able to do these things Anyway, I got a message on our WhatsApp line from Glenn Verin, who was on the show a couple of months ago um, regarding our discussion of the Apple keynote last week. And he, he made a good point. He said, we completely forgot to speak about uh, the eSIM technology built into the new iPhones, which mm. uh, he thought was the most exciting aspect of uh, – of, uh, are you doing dishes in the background, Rekha? That sounds like you're <laughs> – <laughs> no, I was just sorry. I was just shaking something to get it away from the oh, table. This. Okay, <laughs> sounds like you're washing dishes. Um, but Glenn, Glenn made a good point. Um, you know, the eSIM technology is quite exciting, and I'm sure the, the especially the big operators don't like it because it's going to make it mm. much easier to switch between networks. Yeah, it's the same with DualSIM. That we've while well, we've never seen that in South Africa in any big way, shape, or form. The operators they 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 are going to stand to lose a lot of money from it. Mm. But in terms of the technology, what it allows us to do, I mean, why haven't we done this before? Yeah. There's no need to have a physical SIM that you have to 
take out and move around. You know, eSIM allows you to manage a thing from the internet, switch yeah. providers. Yeah. Um, again, you can just log on to your eSIM login page and then switch providers, packages, pricing, set it up the way you want. You can probably do some other cool security things too, like, uh, you know, block my SIM if it leaves this place or that place. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, no-brainer. We need, we need it. It's a no-brainer, and um, it'll hopefully do away with some swap fraud as well once it becomes more um, mm. widely available. But I, I would, I would, I, Glenn, I'm, I'm also quite excited about it, and I hope, I hope it comes to more devices soon. And hopefully this is the new standard and it's going to replace some cars down the line completely. And again, this is where you can – but, but that, isn't that only coming to certain markets as well? We're not, not everybody's getting that version of these. Well, the Chinese, the, the, market, the Chinese market is getting um, two physical SIMs. Um, I forget the reason. I think it's something to do with regulations. Um, mm-hmm. um, but the South African market is getting the one with the phys- one physical SIM and one eSIM. Yeah, but we'll probably see that eSIM being switched off for now until the first guy launches, the first company launches, make a big noise about it, you know, which is which it's going to happen. One uh, of the operators will pull it. The, one of the operators will pull the trigger on this. Who do you think it is? Ten rand bet. I think it's probably going to be MTN. Maybe make a bigger bit of a noise. Maybe maybe Vodacom and MTN will both do it, even though they probably have the most to lose from it. Um, yeah. I would imagine I would imagine that Telcom is very interested in it. Um, I'd, I'd put my money on Vodacom, actually, surprisingly. Interesting. I think, I think, I think, I think Telcom probably has the most to gain, but um, I think Vodacom will probably launch it first. Mm. So, that, you know, that's not our news. Uh, um, Rechard, you've got the offbeat story of the week. You've got a story about a, the Japanese putting a, two mini robots onto an asteroid. <laughs> what on earth is this? Wow. About? Yeah, what, well, more of what not on earth, because this is <laughs> pretty... This is, this is pretty exciting news. I mean, this just happened uh, on Friday, actually. The Japanese have sent a, a two robot, two robot probes called the Haya, I hope I pronounce this, Hayabusa 2, um, to an asteroid that is apparently, that's considered a very ancient asteroid. And what they're hoping to learn from this is kind of just uh, the history of the planet Earth, the evolution of Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the this is obviously the second mission um they've landed on these things with these two little robots weighing uh, sent in a in a um in a craft weighing about 600 kilograms um each of the the little robots are quite are quite a little bit smaller they're obviously are, uh, able to fly around and hop around um, the asteroid i mean it's well worth reading the article on space we'll drop a link um below with the photographs they've sent back some of the first photographs and you would be forgiven to think that this was out of a sci-fi movie like Armageddon or something, because the <laughs> visuals, the visuals of the main image that they that they've shared so far is just that. I mean, it's absolutely spectacular. Um, the fact that they can that they firstly can send something so far, land it with precision. I mean, they they're just hovering on the orbit of this um, asteroid, and then they land um, to do sample. Um, they take physical samples, and they can obviously read um, with some spectrometers that they've got on there. You know, obviously, environment data. So the asteroids, gonna, uh, the the robots are going to be on there for another year. Expected to fly back in December nine uh, next year, uh, twenty nineteen, um, and then it'll take them a year to get back to Earth. Why are they bringing I mean, them back? Well, they need to get the samples, samples. back. Okay, yeah, right. They physically they physically bring samples back. Okay. Um, but I mean, the fact that they can do that is absolutely it's phenomenal. Remarkable. Yeah. Um, just this, on a side note. The sorry, thing, interesting. Sorry, sorry. Right. carry on. No, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in closing on that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> just in closing on that, uh, the primary contractor for the build of the technology is NEC. Um, uh, the spacecraft uses the KA band, um, which I said before the show was a 26.5 to 40 gigahertz wavelength. Satellite, satellite um, frequencies. 
Uh, microwave frequency, yeah. Well, yeah, that's K-band, what they use. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uses a mid-range infra- infrared camera, which uh, is mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah, the pictures are pretty cool. Um, we'll add a we'll add a, a link to some of those photos in in the show notes to today's episode. Um, one does wonder what uh, life forms are going to be bringing back from that thing. Yeah, what microbes is is this going to be? Where the world ends at zombie inf- <laughs> invasion? Well, there's a um, lot of a lot of um, serious uh, speculation by scientists that uh, life on Earth came from asteroids originally. Mm, um, mm. Crashing I into the completely. Earth. Look, everything is definitely older than what we think. There is definitely, uh, you know, this universe is a big place. We're yeah. very old. Earth is old. Yeah. We are very young in the grand scheme of things. Oh, yeah. On that uh, grand and majestic note, that's our news this week. Um, let's move on to our regular features. Let's do our winner and loser first. Our winner this week is the cryptocurrency Ripple, also known as XRP. Have you come across this one, Richard? Uh, no, not yet. I've been stuck on my massive investments in Bitcoin recently. <laughs> You've been sucked in, have you? <laughs> no, no, no. I was being uh, sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> um, so Ripple or XRP has jumped something like 120% in a couple of days this week. Um, on, I'm not quite sure what they're doing. They seem to be having a conference next week, and they're looking to create a, a digital token and create a real-world application for it. Um, but it shows that there's still a lot of interest in cryptocurrencies, not necessarily Bitcoin, but there's a lot of other ones bubbling under the surface. And uh, in fact, um, if I read correctly this week, Ripple is now has a higher market capitalization than Ethereum, so putting it second wow. largest after Bitcoin. So one to watch indeed. Uh, so that's our winner this week, Ripple. And our loser this week is Nomvula Mokonyane for um, putting out a statement criticizing the SABC board and basically saying that the board doesn't know what it's doing uh, when it comes to the restructuring and retra- planned retrenchments at the public broadcaster. Um, it really bordered, bordered on interfering where she's not allowed to interfere and um, potentially creates a crisis for the public broadcaster um, if uh, it's not allowed to continue with its job cuts and restructuring that it desperately needs to do to sort out its cash flow crisis mm. and um, uh, its need to to basically shrink to survive and grow into the future. Um, so political meddling where it's not needed. Nomvula Mukunyane is our loser this week. Uh, Rechard, what's your pick this week? Uh, it's a game-driven pick week this week, I see. Um, <laughs> so I've been, you know, I'm a big PUBG fan, available on Steam. Indeed, Great I game. do. Now, PUBG is a Battle Royale-style game that 100 people, 100 people land, uh, and one guy ends up winning. You pick up weapons and stuff, and that's kind of the game basis. And gets a chicken now, dinner, I believe. Gets a ch- winner, winner, chicken dinner, yeah. Now, my game pick is not PUBG. My game pick is Scum. It's a game also available on Steam. It's currently in pre-release. You can get it for 130 bucks. Uh but uh, mark my words, this is going to be the next big, uh, big name you'll hear gamers talking about. You heard quite it here a first. Lot. You <laughs> heard it here first. Yeah. Now, Scum is kind of a crossbreed. It's actually been in development since 2014, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been a long time coming, a long time before these other battle royale games. So it's not uh, trying to copy. It's actually been uh, building its own kind of genre. Right. Now it's a. It's you also play in a pretty big map location, which is set to expand even further. Um, but like like PUBG type of game, Battle Royale type of games, um, you land, you without anything, and then eventually you pick up guns and, and whatever you need. 
But the difference element here is the survival aspect, and you can craft various things and, and do various things in the game. So, for example, um, you land, you, you need to make a, a stone knife, you pick up two rocks, uh, then you can chop down trees and stuff like that. It sounds tedious, but it's, mm-hmm. it's it, it, I mean, once you kind of understand the basics, it's, it's, it's pretty quick to play and pretty interesting. Now, unlike these other games, you can actually save and leave the server. So it's, it's about survival long term. Yes, you can get shot very easily if somebody has a gun and they take you out. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of about survival, uh, exploring, finding things. Um, now, the twist to this thing is there's, there's army bases around with mechs that obviously can shoot you that you can um, explore and get weapons mechs. and things from. Mechs. You're like a robotic warriors. Um, so they, but remember, this is still early release. So as they're trying to develop and figure out what, where they want to take this, you yep. have all these new additions. Um, so there's not much of a storyline to play with yet. But, I mean, this is an online-only game, right? Yeah. Now, the, the twist is this is essentially a TV show that you're involved in. You're prisoners that's all basically dropped on this island. Um, and there's, there's, there's cameras that's going to be able to monitor you. You, you see it at time. So the, the elements that we're going to see in this game towards the launch will probably be stuff where people can actually tune in and see stuff that's happened or highlight videos. It's, I mean, it's kind of a game show vibe without the gamey, the gameness of it. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, there was one more thing I wanted to say about it, uh, now I completely forgot. Well worth checking out. Uh, how would I recommend it? Um, various servers that you can play on. Um, and oh, there is zombies. That's the other thing I wanted to say. So, zombies, zombies that you can kill. Um, if if characters die, what they do is they actually say, if my character gets killed, my character turns into a zombie. And in future versions of the game, I'll actually be able to play as a zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be a lot of elements to this game. If you have a few hours to spend, I would recommend five six hour sessions. Will definitely do it. If you have that kind of time, this is this is definitely a game to check out. It is awesome. Are beautiful. you still uh, speaking of zombies? Are you still playing Dying Light? Um, not at the moment. I actually uninstalled it just to free up some space. Because, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I do love that game, but these new ones a little bit more exciting, um, especially the online aspect, which is just my favorite. Okay. But, uh, okay. I'm almost done with Dying Light, um, the first one in any case, yeah, so yeah. Close, to, close to the end. Sticking with the gaming theme, I, um, I've picked a game that's quite old, so um, fans of this game might say, why are you only playing this now? <laughs> <laughs> I actually bought it a couple of years ago um, based on the strong reviews at the time. And it's an open world game, and I fired it up, and I wand- as I wanted to do, I wandered around in the open world and didn't follow the storyline. So I played it for a few hours, thought these graphics are stunning, this is a beautiful looking game, and I, I didn't play it again. For some reason, uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, I fired up the game again to have a look at it, and I decided to play the story mode. What a fantastic game. I um, I should have played the story mode to start with. Uh, absolutely brilliant. I'm talking about The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Uh, it's about two or three years old now, um, but the graphics are still top-notch. I mean, they could, this game could have been made this year. Um, mm. Absolutely stunning graphics. Um, from the from the hair in the main character or the hair in the characters in the game to the trees and the wind effects and the rain and the um and the sunrises and sunsets the weather effects absolutely gorgeous game but the storyline is also fantastic um so i um i started playing the storyline about uh, probably 2 weeks ago maybe 10 days ago and um i was just planning to fire it up and just kill half an hour 
six or seven hours <laughs> later. <laughs> the sign of a good game. It was about um, one o'clock in the morning. I thought, um, it's probably time to go to bed now. And I've continued playing it since then. Really addictive, mm. really good. And I apologize. Um, it is an old pick. And uh, anyone listening to the show who has played The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt before will know that it's a great game. Uh, but if you haven't come across it previously or you, have, um, you haven't thought of buying it, it's much cheaper than it was at launch. Uh, so you can pick up a good deal. I think it's available in both. Uh, I'm not sure it's in Steam, but it's certainly in GOG Galaxy. Um, I think it is on Steam. I saw it. There. I definitely saw it okay. there. Okay, but um, check out GOG Galaxy as well. You might find it cheaper there. Um, but that's The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Really, really great game. Um, it was Game of the Year a couple of years ago, um, and I now see why. Um, just because it's old on a side note, just because a game is old doesn't mean it shouldn't be played. Definitely not. I agree. Mean, I think this goes to show. And, and, and platforms like uh, GOG Galaxy, I think it was, as you said, and uh, Steam, and there's a few others. Yeah. It makes it accessible again to get these games. And if you like good storylines, oh, there's so many of them. Yeah, so, and, and uh, you know, undoubtedly they're games, even for hardcore gamers, there'll be games out there that are a few years old where the price has really dropped to a very good price. Mm, um, mm. You know, a couple of hundred bucks or less. Um, yeah, that you perhaps yeah. just didn't play back then for some reason or got overlooked for some reason. Um, and you can pick these games up at a real, real, a real bargain. Um, yeah. I also tend to do in Steam is add them to my wish list. And when they, they go on sale, I tend to snap them up. Yeah. It's a good price. Little guilty pleasures. But yeah, The Witcher's still got a very strong pop culture following as well. You, every every uh, expo you go to, you'll see cosplayers. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a, The Witcher series is, is incredibly popular. Yeah. I haven't played any, any of the previous uh, Witchers. This is the first one I've played, but maybe I'll have to dive back into the archives. I can't imagine the graphics will be uh, nearly as good as Witcher 3, but um, still, if the storyline mm-hmm. is as good, maybe it's worth going back and having a look at those games as well. Really good stuff. And um, I think that's almost our show, apart from our quiz results and our song pick this week, which uh, is your pick this week, Rehot. We'll get to that yep. as soon as we've done the quiz results while I quickly fire up Spotify in the background. Um, so, um, first question this week. Shareholders in MultiChoice's Black Economic Empowerment Scheme are set to score extra shares as part of Nussbauch's unbundling of the pay TV operator. What is the name of the BEE scheme? And that is Patumanati. The second question, how will the top-end iPhone XS Max with 512 gigabytes of storage cost in South Africa, according to the iStore? And the answer, if you haven't already had a little heart attack, is 3199. <laughs> and uh, Nuspash unit OLX this week said it was paying 1.4 billion rand in which, to buy which South African e-commerce company, or rather to buy a stake in which e- South African e-commerce company, and that is We Buy Cars. Fourth question, MTN, uh, will this coming week pull the plug on its zero-rated free Twitter offering? In which year did it introduce it? And the answer is in 2014, and it was meant to only be a 90-day promotion. And the last question in the quiz this week, which U.S. company has outbid Rupert Murdoch's Fox to buy Sky in a £30 billion deal? And that is Comcast. And that's our show this week, Rehat. Uh, tomorrow is Heritage Day, um, also known as Bry Day. Will you be having a Bry? Uh, I might be investing in a Bry somewhere. The Agos Brewery has got an open day, so there's going to be beer on tap. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, f- right from the keg. So it's hey, well is here in, in Randburg, isn't in Joburg. it? In Joburg. Kaya Sands. Kaya Sands, yeah. That's yeah, not, yeah. Not, not too far away. I might uh, pop in there and join you. Oh, yeah, that let me know, definitely. We'll, uh, but it's always a good, uh, good just to have it from the tap, yeah. So yeah. I think that's the way to enjoy Heritage Day. Sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. I'll definitely be having a braai sometime during the course of tomorrow. But oh, in, yeah. li- in line with Heritage Day, you've got a pick for us this week. 
Yes, I'm sure most uh, listeners to the show will know of this beautiful band called Wonderboom, recently making a little bit of a resurgence and a comeback. You'll see them uh, on social media. They've got a few shows around. But yeah, Wonderboom, fantastic song called Africa, um, and very appropriate for Heritage Day tomorrow. Awesome stuff. Remember, you can WhatsApp the show. The number to use is 071-999-1111. Send us voice notes and we'll include you on a future episode. As always, from Rechad and myself, until next time, take care and enjoy Wunderboom. Ciao, ciao. Yeah. Mm-hmm.